Hello, and welcome to the TMG Fireside Chat. The premise of the TMG Fireside Chat is to bring leaders across the fire protection and life safety industry together and talk about industry-wide challenges and highlight solutions that will help to solidify the industry's foundation while preparing for growth through new technologies and strategies. In this episode, we sit down with Caleb Armbrust, the Director of Membership for the NFSA. We were able to meet at the annual conference uh, held back in May in Austin, Texas. And during our conversation, uh, we were able to talk about the NFSA and who they are, uh, where the NFSA fits uh, in our industry and the long history they have. Um, Caleb also talks about uh, his role um, as the director of membership and also shares his view on the market. Uh, the strength of the fire sprinklers industry as a whole, career opportunities, uh, shares a little bit about his path, and then the role of technology as we move the industry forward. I hope you enjoy our conversation and you're able to take away one or two things that you can apply in your professional and personal life. And with that, I welcome you to our podcast, the TMG Fireside Chat. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Fireside Chat, where we talk about industry fire protection industry related topics and events. Uh, and this week, um, I am at the National Fire Sprinkler Association Annual Forum and Expo in Austin, Texas, and uh, have the privilege to sit down with Caleb Armbrust. So Caleb, welcome. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks. Great thanks to be here. Us. Thanks for joining us. Um, Caleb, is, uh, we've talked offline, um, and as the viewers would know, um, the intent of this podcast is to talk about things that are going on across the industry, uh, you know, challenges that we're facing and areas that are, that are growing and, and organizations that really help, um, you know, solidify the industry or help advocate for what we do. Um, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the role of, of NFSA in uh, fire protection and, and what you do at NFSA? Sure. So. You know, NFSA was founded in 1905. It has a pretty storied history. At our office, we have a, a timeline of major fires and legislation, uh, along with the code changes that were passed after each of them. And you can almost track NFSA's involvement in each of those things, leading to more fire protection and better fire protection. And so, again, for 118 years, we've really been there to be the voice of the fire sprinkler industry, which is kind of our tagline. Um, really trying to, to help make a stronger industry, which, which we happen to be in a space where the stronger our industry is, the safer the world is. Absolutely. So we like to say, a stronger industry is a safer world. Yeah. And so uh, my role specifically at NFSA is, is as the director of membership. Mm -hmm. um, I like to say I get to sort of be the custodian of treasure. Um, 118 years, uh, obviously everybody here is replaceable. I like to remind, remind all of us that, because uh, when you're 118 years old, everybody's been replaced at some point. <laughs> a number of people um, before you. <laughs> which lends itself to sort of this institutional recognition and, and the reality that NFSA is an institution yeah. in our industry and has helped to, to shape the industry and the direction it's gone. And, and uh, we've had several companies that have been members for 65 years or more. Um, and it's just neat to, like I said, to be a custodian of that treasure and those relationships between the company and the association is, um, 
has been a real privilege and to try to bring on new members, particularly contractors, into that that uh, relationship between the companies and the association. Right, right. One of the things that I, you know, this was the first NFSA conference I've been to in 10 years uh, prior to my role um, at Hiller. I worked at Tyco and the Tyco is what brought me to the NFSA conferences. Um, and what I realized this week or remembered this week, but what I realized 10 years ago was the strength of the relationships between the contractors. Mm. Um, you really see a brotherhood yeah. across uh, a lot of these you know, family businesses or bigger businesses um, where they're very supportive of each other, uh, which I think speaks to the legacy of yeah. the association yeah. and all, all those folks that have been here before us. And uh, you know, now the duty that you, you have every day, but you know, as a you know, fire protection industry you know, professional, how can I support you know, the association as well? But, uh, yeah, and the, the, this, I'm so glad you came because the conference, when you try to ask people, well, what is NFSA? It's really hard to bottle it up because I could go any direction and t talking to somebody about why they should join. But the best way is to come to a board meeting or to come to a conference. And um, that's sort of an open invitation to, to people that be thinking about getting involved is just come to a board meeting, reach out uh, or come to a conference. Because to your point, you see guys that actually are pretty fierce competitors uh, on the manufacturing side and the contracting side. Uh, and they recognize that the association is that institution that enables them the opportunity to come together and and talk about the industry absolutely right? not company a company b um but how do we take this tide and lift it for everybody right right no that's great it's great um a couple of things that uh we do with regard to um our podcast mm -hmm. um kind of get things rolling when uh you think of sports uh not sure if you're Baseball. You live in Kentucky. Are you native to Kentucky? I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So that should close probably answer the sports enough. question. Right, so, all right. You know. All right. So, which college team then? So it's got to be the Ohio, the Ohio State the Buckeyes. Ohio. I, I'm not an alum, but I grew up 20 minutes from there, and, and I know that that probably just tuned out a good chunk of the audience. But that's okay. That's right. I think most of the Michigan fans now are gone completely. Well, they they won. They've won a couple they times now, so they they. Yes. They're back pretending yes. it's a rivalry. Yes. Well, fortunately, there's only you and I. We, you, you throw out the OH. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly I won't I do that because I know you live in Alabama. So, <laughs> uh, very good. What about uh, food? We've been you know here now for almost you know four or five days. Sure. In Austin, obviously a ton of barbecue all over the place. This Tex-Mex, the Tex, you know Mexican taco restaurants, every you know five feet. Uh, but you know, outside of being in Austin, what's your favorite food? You know, I got four little kids, so I feel like I'm a connoisseur of, of the chicken tenders at various <laughs> restaurants at this point in life. But um, and mac and cheese. And mac and cheese. I make a mean mac and cheese. Yeah. Uh, but I, th I think honestly, I, I'm probably a steak steak guy with all the fixings. Yeah. I mean, if I picked my last meal on earth, I'd probably pick a, a steak with the cream spinach and the scalloped potatoes yeah. and a nice cabernet and yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, very good. I'd like that too. Um, in high school. Uh, how would your classmates, what would they have voted you for? You know, most likely to. So I, I used to joke with people because I was homeschooled. Um, so there is like a little social barrier here maybe, but we'll get past it together. But yes. I, uh, um, so I was a class of one, obviously. Yeah. So we didn't really have elections. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I don't, I don't know what they would have voted me for. Yeah. I, did, I did graduate from public high school. I went, uh, my last two years, I went to a, um, 
vocational program for professional firefighting yeah. and uh, EMT. So I guess they technically they voted me the assistant chief of the class. So I don't there know if go. that counts. All right. Well, I think, you know, um, I know some homeschoolers growing up as well. And, I, you know, most likely too to do whatever the heck you wanted to do. There you go. Right? There <laughs> you go. The world's your oyster. There you right? go. Go figure it out. Um, all right. So how'd you end up in fire protection? What got you to where you're at today? I think I probably have a little bit of a different story than, than some folks. Yeah. And mine doesn't start out with, uh, you know, I walked into a bar and somebody said they, they do sprinklers. Right. But um, so I was the kid for a long time that never lost the dream is what I, how I describe myself. Right. I, I grew up, I wanted to ride big red trucks like I think we all did. Yeah. Um, I got pulled, plugged in with a couple of fire departments when I was in high school. Um, I think my story speaks to the, the power of mentorship or just uh, people further along taking an interest in somebody that's younger. Yeah. Um, there's one guy at the fire station that we moved, he was across the street and he, he vouched for me and let me ride, ride along with them some yeah. and then told me I needed to go get my licenses. So I went in high school to get my firefighter one and two in my EMT basic. Uh -huh. um, and then again, the instructor there um, gave me the opportunity to come down uh, downtown Columbus and ride with one of the inner city engines and medic units. Yeah. Um, in high school, and then when I was in college, I went to Eastern Kentucky yeah. uh, to get my degree in, in fire admin is what it started out as. And somewhere around my sophomore year, you know, I was standing in a fire station in Columbus and just went, wow, I'm the kid that just lost the dream. Yeah. I don't think I'm gonna do this. Um, and we could talk at some other time about calling and, and sort of how all that works out. I, I lost that call and, yeah. and it was very disorienting you're getting a degree in it. You're, you know, this is what you've always wanted to do. Right. Again, a great advisor at Eastern Kentucky, uh, a guy named Greg. Um, I, I had talked to him and said, you know, college isn't that hard. Some of the fire classes were more fun at that point. And he said, we'll switch to the engineering track and it'll get hard. Right. And um, so I switched. I had struggled in math, but I, I switched to the engineering track my sophomore year and did calc and physics and the whole uh, engineering degree, um, engineering tech degree, full disclosure, the yeah. Maryland listeners here. Um, and uh, graduated with that in four years. And I thought that if you take the fire protection pie, I thought it was big red trucks over here, yeah. or I'll just say Jensen Hughes over here was the only real fire protection engineering firm yep. that I knew of. They were, I guess, Rolf Jensen at the time. And um, I missed the entire contracting mm -hmm. part of the pie and the manufacturers and, and, uh, so I just say to the audience, there's a lot that doesn't compute to a 21 year old, right. even one that's interested in it. And um, so I got out, I went to Europe and then um, anyway, did a couple jobs, got married, had some kids, was running a company in Maryland when Shane Ray, who I had the privilege of interning for when he was a fire chief, um, when I was a sophomore in college and uh, rather I was a junior. So I was a junior in college, my junior and senior uh, summers. And he called and, and Miss Vicky actually is the one that well, Caleb lives in Maryland. I've kept up with him. Like, give him a call. Yeah. Because Shane was looking for a, a tight end that knew fire sprinklers, I guess. And he called and I looked it up. And I remember the first time I was going through the member list and saw Dalmatian, you know, up in uh, yeah. the Midwest. Yeah. I, go, I, I remember seeing the, the, the dogs, I guess we call them the sham dogs now, the, yeah. all over the trucks everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went, oh my gosh, there's guys that, there's companies out there that, I had understood business by that point. Went, wow, how, how did I miss this? And um, I dove into the association, that was six years ago. Okay. That's kind of how I, yeah. so I, I, I got a technical-ish degree and uh -huh. now I don't do really anything technical in my role. 
That's interesting. I think it, it, it highlights, again, how doors open, yeah. right? I like the reference you made about line of sight, right? Before it was you know, the red trucks or engineering mm -hmm. and not necessarily looking at, at the contracting piece and understanding the role that the contractors play Huge role. in the market, especially the relationship between engineering, contracting, and the fire department, right? Yep. So um, I think that's an interesting perspective because you know I've, my, my, I've got kids in their early 20s and nephews that are in high school, and when I talk to them about fire protection, they just kind of like glaze over a little bit to say, well, wait a minute, again, they're not looking up for the sprinkler head. They're not looking on, you know, around for that fire alarm panel. No. They don't understand construction. All that goes into no. a project that uh, contractors, it's like, what, do you, do you want to do design? Do you want to inspect? Do you, and then within design, do you like working on one project for five years or yeah. two years? Or do you want to do a different project every day? Like, how are you wired? There's yeah. something in this for every sort of workplace performance type, yeah. whether it's sales, whether it's management, whether it's leading people or... Um, and that's what's so interesting to see that yeah. it makes it hard to makes it hard to sell, right? So one of the things that you know I left, I came back with NFSA, and Abby Gunnels, who's who um, works with me, we were freshmen in college together, actually, yeah. and so she's sort of leading our charge to um, dive into this career recruitment mm -hmm. space on behalf of the association for all the members. Yeah. And one of the things we've done is, is got one of the local contractors in Lexington, Landmark Sprinkler. Um, I went and talked to the branch manager and said, look, I just need any Friday morning. Can you give me a blank check to find a kid and send him up here? Yeah. And he, you know, what do you mean? I said, I told him my story. He said, if I can put them in your office for one morning, that's all it's going to take. And these kids that are studying fire mm -hmm. are going to get it. Yeah. And so we've had, I don't know, half a dozen to 10 students that are studying fire and safety engineering go sit down, see the design guys using, I didn't do any computer design. It was all paper and hand calcs in college. And it was like, who wants to do that? And so they sit down there, they see the technology, they connect it with what they're studying. Mm -hmm. They go look at the service fab shop, they talk to the branch manager, they take a, a workplace performance test. And to a T, I think all of them are working in the contracting space yeah. now following Eastern, with maybe one is in the insurance risk business, right. right? But before that, most of them would go, oh, I'll go insurance, I'll try to do, get a master's degree. Um, because they didn't realize the, uh, the incredible opportunities that you could get with a bachelor's degree in our industry. Right, right, know? right. No, plenty, plenty, plenty of opportunities. Um, when you look at the industry as a whole, yep. um, obviously the, um, construction market in the United States um, is strong. Uh, I know as I go to every fire industry conference, every contractor is talking about how busy they are, mm -hmm. uh, they can't hire enough people to keep up, um, some of the best years they've ever had in running their business. And um, so there's a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. Um, but from your perspective, um, um, what's, what's your take on the industry? What's going on? I mean, you know, where do you guys see the strengths and the growth areas? I mean, it's been record years for sprinkler shipments. Yeah. So one of the things that's unique to the National Fire Sprinkler Association is our Manufacturers Council. Uh -huh. And so all four of the manufacturers are, are in that council, and they, um, they share their shipment data, uh, again, with a third party. Yeah. It's blind to us. We, yeah. don't, we don't know anybody's market share, don't want to, um, but we want to know the market. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we gather, the sprinkler shipment data, uh, and 
uh, I think 2019 was the first time that residential sprinklers made up more than 25% of all heads shipped. That's interesting. So that's a big deal. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, since then, even through COVID, you'd think we would have hit the wall. And, and is it, what's the recovery going to look like? Is it, you know, I forget all the letters that we were talking about that they're going to be, right? That, that sort of is a blank hole for like all of our memories, you know. Um, but it's been record year after record year after record year of sprinkler shipments. And so uh, that's pretty cool to see Absolutely. because all those sprinkler shipments, those are new sprinklers getting installed yeah. um, that obviously need to be inspected, tested, maintained. Eventually they're going to need to be replaced. Um, and the residential piece is something NFSA and the manufacturers and contractors have invested heavily in Absolutely. the development of 13D and 13R and the standards for it and then the lobbying effort to get uh, single family homes in the model codes mm -hmm. and then to try to get it adopted at the state or local levels uh, has, has proved to continue to be a big, a big battle in a place yeah. where we've invested heavily. Yeah. Uh, so that was really neat to see residential, which includes multifamily and all that stuff, right. become such a big part of the overall shipment data. That's great. I mean, it, it's reflective of the acceptance now mm -hmm. of uh, residential sprinklers, yep. um, and um, also I think the healthy market of construction, again, right, where it's at. Um, I'm plugged into a lot of different, you know, industry research data, kind of get a sense of where the growth areas are, um, is across fire, if it's fire extinguisher, fire uh, yep. gen generic suppression or alarm. And some of the data I have is showing that the fire sprinkler, U.S. fire sprinkler market is going to grow compounded growth rate of about eight or nine percent a year for the next five or six years all right so it takes to the u.s market today which is about 4.3 billion dollars mm -hmm. and is going to push that into the seven billion dollar range um, i mean that's to me it's a lot of potential membership this job that's <laughs> you are right about that good for you you'll be working to go find all those members um but in that context, it, one, it, it highlights the strength of the market. Um, fire alarm is a little bit behind that. Yeah. Uh, suppression as a whole is even for a little bit behind that as well. But directionally, I mean, sprinklers really leading the pace. And when you talk about the shipments, record year after record year after year, uh, the growth of, of um, a residential, again, highlight all that. But what about challenges? Right? I mean, it's, it's great that we've got all this you know, good momentum going on, but uh, it's not a perfect world either. So what challenges do you guys see? I mean, the, the one that just pops into mind as I travel around and meet with contractors is, yeah. is the skilled labor shortage. Um, so everybody would take people. Um, and, uh, but I think you're gonna, we're going to start to see the actual hands-on skilled labor shortage really started to kick in, yep. right? Because, and it, it's not unique to fire protection. Nope, um, call somebody to come work on anything that breaks and they're not generally my generation. Um, and so closing that gap, I think, uh, you know, guys like Mike Rowe are doing a lot of work. Um, I give a shout out to Stanley Black and Decker and some of the, a lot of the makers scholarships that they've done and yep. trying to push that of, hey, look, you don't have to go get a graphic design degree. Mm -hmm. And um, not that that's bad if you, if you do that, but maybe college isn't for everybody. And so I think a challenge for us as, a, as an industry and we've done a lot with like NYSET to their credit to to create certification programs that allow people to excel and to gain knowledge and, and take tests and actually you know grow in their education of it I, I think that um, helping people realize the opportunities 
in the industry is a huge challenge for us because I think that that skilled labor market is just going to get more and more competitive. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and being able to have people choose fire sprinkler over HVAC or over plumbing or over mechanic, some of the other skilled trades, because we're all going to be competing for good talent. Yeah. And uh, which is where I do think, you know, the answer to that is that we have a really noble mission. I mean, we save lives and property. Absolutely. Um, I think those are some of the big challenges. And, and uh, again, I'm not on the technical side. I, I talk to guys to a degree about the state of their business and, and obviously the interest rate hikes are on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. um, the bank failures, the all the chaos in the market right now. I think right. that it's interesting to see, you know, um, I have some friends that are in commercial real estate and I think following, talking to those guys and where they are and what the rate is that they're borrowing money and what projects are getting shelved and which ones are going. Um, it's just interesting to see. The other thing I think is really fascinating to see how how far it goes is it's not really a bifurcation of the market, but it, it is to a degree that you have these mega projects now that I think a few years ago, we, I mean, we haven't seen anything like that no. in the U.S. I mean, $100 million sprinkler jobs were, excuse me, what? Right. Sort of thing, projects going five years and longer. And it's really neat to see it, um, but there's only a handful of contractors that can take on, maybe not even a handful, there's only a couple. How do you deploy a thousand you know, installers, right? Yeah, skilled labor, skilled labor to to a complex projects. In a, you know, different part of the country. And, and like six of them. Yeah. All right, at the yeah. volume of the product, the design, and it's really to the credit of the industry because the, the part you used the word acceptance a minute ago, and our mission is the widespread acceptance. Yeah. So like, you can force something in the code, and we can you know pound our chest that we got sprinklers required somewhere. That's great, but it's not good if, if homeowners that have sprinklers don't know what they are, right. and they live in fear of of this life safety device because they watch the movies and they think they all go off at once. They all go off. So I think a huge challenge for our industry is getting people to really understand our product yeah. and, and be happy for it, to ask for it. I, I, I'm nearly done um, sprinkling my house yeah. in, in Lexington. Oh, yeah. yeah, you are installing that yourself, correct? I did. I, I, yeah. To the shock of many, I read a standard. Um, had a little help from Mike Jonas and Roland Asp. Uh, and, and a big shout out to Viking yeah. for, for hooking me up with the product and, and Blaze Master Pipe. And, it was a lot of fun, but I got my little kids involved with it. They were all in the attic. They were, so all we have left to do is wire the pump, um, and it'll be, it'll be live. But it got to the point, John, that I, on our piano in the living room, I have a T with the head and the cover plate and the pipe going into it because it, it was to the point that people kept at, well, what is that? What is that? And how does it work? That I like, I literally just picked the prop up. I'm like, here's the cover plate. It slips in here. Head drops out, you know. The deflector comes out, this yeah. active. I was like, wow, that's really cool. I had no idea. Wait, so they don't all go off then if that? No, they don't all right. go off. And so I think that there's a lot of work to do educationally. I was surprised just of all the people in the industry, if we all did that, mm -hmm. honestly. And that's what it takes. I'm not saying everybody should have a prop with orange pipe and some sprinkler heads on their piano. But, I mean, think about it. Like, a lot of us, I didn't. I've worked for the association for six years and embarrassed to say that I... I I moved homes and stuff, right. but um, then I just sprinkled my house. You know, I could have sprinkled part of it three years ago, and that's a that's a whole another podcast right. on. I think I should have done that, um, but it wouldn't have been the entire house. Right. Uh, so I, I think those are some of the challenges. I know that was a little bit of a rambling 
No, I think it. But no, I think it's good. I think what it highlights again is again awareness with regard to you know how do the systems operate, how are they designed to get away from you know the Hollywood aspect that yeah the whole system's going to go off and oh it's head to head. Yep. Right. Where the spot of the fire is identified. Our guys would say device to device or fire sprinkler to fire sprinkler. Our technical guys would beat me up if I used the word sprinkler head. So. Got it. We understand. Again, I'm not the technician either. All right, so the other thing I'm picking up um, as, after talking to a number of companies this week is um, the shift to service. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I think it highlights the strength of our industry, the resilience, if you will, of Absolutely. the industry. Um, you know, when you look at the industry as a whole, um, you can go back to, I'll go back to 2008, 2009, what, 15, 18 years ago now. And I think we learned at that point um, with the recession to say, hey, we have to be able to pivot. Yeah. All right. And those days I was at Tyco and we saw a significant shift in our market because I mean, new, new construction came to a screeching halt. Mm. Uh, and the companies that survived and thrived for the next 10 years were the ones that picked up service. Right. Right. We saw the same through COVID. Yeah. Right. Yeah, service really took off. But it, every, every owner I've talked to this week has talked about their journey to go get more and more service. Yep. Right. So it's, uh, been very, very interesting to, to see. I mean, what's your, what's your perspective on that? You know, well, I was inside the bastion of, of higher education during the 2008 uh, financial <laughs> recession. So I, I remember reading about it on the cover of the USA Today in the uh-huh. dorm. But um, anyway. myself there. Yeah, well, so most of my knowledge <laughs> comes from reading the books afterwards and, and watching some of the movies. But um, I, absolutely. Service. But what was fascinating... Um, in another job, I remember we, we sprinkler, we retrofitted a, um, it was a grocery store that we converted to a 10,000 square foot commercial bakery and everything. And I remember the owner asking me about it of, should we do this? And I said, well, like you do it or don't do it. But if you don't do it, I'm probably not going to work here because I'm not going to explain why we changed what we were storing somewhere to not sprinkler half of our building. Right. You know, he's like, absolutely right. Life yeah. safety. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I was surprised that the installing contractor, like I had to ask them for a quote, just like, or like, well, what do we do with this now? Don't we have to get it? And, and I mean, I knew enough from like college, like there's supposed to be maintenance with this, right? And it's like, here's your pile of submittals. And it was like, well, great. What, what do we do now? I had to ask for a service quote. Right. And they're like, yeah, sure. We can quote that. And I was like, wait. This isn't a thing. You guys don't just keep making. Wow. And I, so then when I came to NFSA, I started asking certain, some contractors whether they do that. And they're like, oh, no, that's a totally separate part of the business. And we don't, the handoff is rough. And I'm like, why? Yeah. You guys are the best person to, you know, to service the system. You know it. You designed it. You, Absolutely. Um, and so in the last six years, to your point, I think there is a recognition yep. and the pivot too. But yeah, we do, we do want to do service. It's a different mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's more customer centric. Yep. So it was it was surprising that we talked about this at the service trade conference in the fall. Um, you know, our industry gets the rap that it's it's very male dominated. Mm-hmm. And my response is, well, it's construction. We're hanging pipe in buildings, and it's a it's a it's really intense physical labor. Yeah. So, which is not to say that certain people can't do it. Right. But what was fascinating is to see 
the number of women that were on the big service companies. Yeah. And, and the attention to detail, the customer service, the, so that was very neat to see that mm -hmm. um, and to, to watch the industry grow in that direction. Yeah. And um, that's one of the things I get excited about. But I, I, you have seen many more contractors pivot that way and technology is enabling a lot of it actually. I think um, if you've got you know, carbon copy inspection forms and, <laughs> and you're doing that, there's a lot of liability that you're Absolutely. taking on with less than ideal methods mm -hmm. to account for well, well, we did the inspection, we documented this, we gave it to you, right? So I think that there's part of it that some of the technology that's out there now helps to enable a better quality inspection, which, and again, I've not been a contractor. The, the joke, I think, is that um, you or I could smash that sprinkler head with a hammer and the contractor's still going to have a claim on their insurance <laughs> policy. Unfortunately. Right. Um, and that is a challenge that we have going forward, I think, too, right. by the way. And so, but yeah, everybody's pivoting to service. And I think that, to your point, um, it, that the role that technology plays in the pivot to, to, to service is also attracting a different type of employee mm -hmm. into the market. Like you said, you go to a service-focused conference um, around technology, and the room is 50-50, yep. male to female. Uh, and a lot of those uh, uh, female technicians you know, have started in the office, may have worked in some other administrative capacity and then have worked their way into the field yeah. um, because the work is more appealing, right? Yeah. Again, to your point, it's customer facing, you know, out and about. It's normal know. business hours usually. Exactly, right? And it's, it's you know, testing and inspecting systems. Um, so that that's part of it. And I also think I agree with you with regard to uh, the ability or the, I'll call it the ease of deploying new technology, mm -hmm. service trade, inspect point, um, you know, are the two that I'm most familiar with, but when you look at their ability to, I'll call it plug and play, if you will, and deploy, yeah. you know, best in class technology to, to really, you know, make sure that that facility is compliant. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's an easy ramp um, and it's, it's easy to get out there. So it, uh, you know, it makes it an easier conversion for that installer to bolt on a service arm to take on more service business. I mean, the other thing I think is the enforcement, right? And so you, you talk yeah. about if you can you can require it. I, the, the the caveat I say here, and I again my role is membership, so yeah. I try to recruit contractors, and and the service contractors are a harder sell. Um, and you know, I ask, well, are you doing inspections? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's our business. Yeah. Okay, well, why are you doing inspections? Like in the history of the world, do people want to spend money every quarter yeah. to have you look at something that they hope to never use? Yeah. No, they, they don't. It's required of them by law. Right. And to require something by law, there's got to be a statute, there's a code, there's a standard now, 25. Yeah. It didn't just appear out of thin air. Right. Um, and NFSA was instrumental in driving that. Absolutely. Because again, all these contractors come together and say, we need a standard. Like, we have to have a standard by which we're inspecting right. these. And the manufacturers have to be involved, the contractors have to be involved, the suppliers, right? So that's been built over years and years and years. Uh, and without that, our ITM market is not what it is today. Agree. Full stop. And so when you talk about institutions that have been around for over 100 years, part of, part of the dues, right, when I talk about, okay, if we're going to take the pie chart of your dues, mm -hmm. part of it, I don't know what percentage quite yet, goes to the fact that we have an industry, <laughs> right? Like we have standards. And we do, we spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on standards meetings, on internal committee meetings, on 
NITMAMs and participating in the codes process right. and standards development. And no one company can do that on their own. No. So you, ha you have to be a voice. And if we want to keep getting market share and we want to keep growing the market, part of your dues are purely that. Right. And, and the specific ROI on that, it's hard to quantify. I agree. I mean, let's go back to your, uh, the first point we talked about at the start of the podcast. The association's been around for 108 years, you said? 118. 118 yeah. years, all right? And the legacy of all those people before, Yeah. right? And the layer after layer after layer after layer, all around safety, mm -hmm. protecting lives and property, yeah. right? But even today, as strong as the industry is, it still comes down to the codes, the codes yep. being enforced, living in a municipality or a state that is, you know, mandating or driving those codes, yeah. right? And, and, and holding um, the compliance. Um, and our ability, our business owners and or industry professionals willingness to pay those dues and continue to support the association is only solidifying the foundation for that next generation that's coming Correct. in behind us. Yep, right? and protecting it. Really. Absolutely, absolutely. And ultimately make it, you know, continue to make our workplaces yeah. or life, you know, where we live uh, safer. So, all right, um, we'll start to wrap up. But what I do ask at every um, one of our uh, podcasts is, uh, as part of that wrap up, if you have an opportunity to work with one person uh, who you really looked up to, oh, right? man. Uh, someone helped you grow into the leader you are today or had the most fun working with, who would that be and why? Man, that's a really, really hard question. Um, I mean, I get to work with a lot of them actually in my job. I mean, Shane, I um, knew him early on in, in my career, um, super creative. Um, I almost went to law school. Uh, it didn't. Um, gosh, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that aren't in this industry, actually. Yeah. There's some guys I knew. There's a David Beasley, who's a former governor of South Carolina. I got to know him a few years ago and just a fascinating, great leader. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know who the one person that I would pick pick would be, actually. All right. Yeah. All right. So sometimes these questions aren't planted, so uh, that was a cold. Uh, <laughs> hit them cold with it. So, um, all right. Well, I think we'll wrap up there. Um, you know, Caleb, thank you yeah, for thank the time, you. man. Really, really appreciate yep. it. And, uh, you know, great event this week. Um, you know, uh, fully engaged uh, group of attendees. What, how many people attended here? It was about a thousand. A thousand. Yeah. Very good. Um, great event last night with the re welcome reception and uh, blending it with the vendors and uh, you know some live music. Yeah. And food. Uh, so that was that was great. And uh, wrapping up now to get ready to head to a future a, leadership a future reception. leader reception as well. So uh, really appreciate that. Um, we're going to have uh, contact information for okay. uh, the listeners to. Uh, to be able to reach out to you, learn more about NFSA, understanding what's going on in the sprinkler yeah. industry or whatever else it might be. Um, and then um, obviously people can reach out to me uh, specific to the industry as a whole. So Yeah, I, I'm really glad you came, John. Pleasure to be on the podcast. And I think, um, I guess my, my parting shot would be there's a lot for everybody in the association. That That's just like, what do you want to do? Right. Who, who do you want to meet? Part of our job is to connect people and, and um, millennials, my parting shot to millennials is we don't think uh, in terms of institutions, mm -hmm. right? There's this push. We saw it all through the summer 2020. 
We're going to blow up all the institutions. Yeah. We're going to rebuild them. And I think that certainly from where I sit, being a um, millennial in a, let's just say, generally a sunset career role, yeah. that's how I describe it, director of membership <laughs> for a national association, yeah. it, it's been a super unique experience to get really the privilege to, to get to talk to men and women that have run large, large companies, mm -hmm. which is why I don't take the job lightly at all. Right. It, it's an honor, and I, I look at it, especially the younger people out there, um, that don't realize the opportunity. Some of these guys feel far off and distant is that every one of them wants nothing more than to invest in the next generation. Absolutely. And part of the way that they do that is through the association. Yep. And so if you're a young owner of a company, it's like, join, give us a shot. Yeah. Try it out for a couple of years, you know? But but don't hammer me on, you know, the R, the ROI as if I'm, I'm a, somebody selling you a specific product. Right. I think that I think that the trade associations have to be viewed differently than vendors of product. Absolutely. Um, and, and I just, I've seen that push of where guys will compare their membership dues to a truck payment. Right. And when that happens, I usually get up and leave because we're just not a good fit. Right. Um, and, and our association's fine doing that, um, but there's a lot here for everybody. Yeah. Well, to your point, it's about advocacy and stewardship. And again, it's not only about today, tomorrow, but it's you know for the future. Stewardship's the key. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening and going on this journey with us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give the TMG Fireside a chat a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to like, follow, and share TMG on all socials, as well as all podcast platforms. And finally, be sure to tell your friends across the fire protection industry about the TMZ Fireside Chat. Thank you and be safe.